Mini Break, your daily podcast for the biggest storylines, results, and controversies from the tennis world. Today is Wednesday, August 24th. On today's show, it's time to break down this week's action happening on the ATP and WTA tours. Of course, looming over everything is the start of the year's final Grand Slam. Main draw play at the 2022 U.S. Open going to begin next Monday. We are less than seven days away from the start of the year's final Grand Slam. And of course, we here at Cracked Rackets are so excited for the action in New York to begin. We'll have daily mini break podcast recapping everything that happens on court. We'll also have GSP Ace of the Day segments for all of you listeners. I'm going to offer some predictions each and every day of this 2022 U.S. Open. Hopefully, those predictions ultimately end up accurate, but we're going to have a ton of fun with the year's final Grand Slam. However, before we can get there, we still got a little action to get through this week. Of course, many of you are going to be focused on the U.S. Open qualifying action happening in New York. The good news for all of you listeners looking for updates on that event, we have a podcast covering U.S. Open qualifying specifically over on our Great Shot podcast feed. It's Cracked Rackets contributors Damian Kust and Jakob Bobro break down all the action and tell you the players you should be watching out for. They also offer a few predictions of their own within that episode. So if you're looking for U.S. Open qualifying content, head on over to the Great Shot podcast feed or go look for that episode over on our website, CrackedRackets.com. Here on this show, I want to talk about the tour-level action we see unfolding. We've got three events happening this week. Two on the WTA side, one on the ATP, of course, our Cracked Rackets team. So privileged, so fortunate to be on the grounds in Cleveland serving as MC and on-site producer for the 2022 Tennis in the Land WTA 250 event. Of course, we've also got the WTA action happening over in Granby, Canada. We've got ATP action over in Winston-Salem. So if you were foolishly thinking there might be some calm before the storm, you clearly haven't been following the professional tennis world as there is never any calm. We are always full tilt going 110% in the professional tennis world. Of course, on today's show, what I want to do, break down the action, tell you the players you should be watching for most closely. Who are the sort of players that could perhaps emerge as a Caroline Garcia? In case you have forgotten, Caroline Garcia wins that title the week before Wimbledon has really carried the momentum she built in that event over the course of the past eight weeks. You go back to the 2021 French Open. Barbara Krachikova wins a title the week before the French Open. Obviously, she goes on to win that 2021 French Open title. The point being why I bring up those two examples, yes, the fields this week aren't the most jam-packed, although there are a lot of names I think you should be watching for. But again, the reason why this week matters, if any of these players can build a little bit of momentum, find their rhythm heading into that action in New York, certainly everyone's going to get a day off on Sunday as each of this week's tournaments going to have Saturday finals. But, you know, you never know. With the day off system in Grand Slam play, all of these players are in elite physical shape. They'll have plenty of time to recover. And again, given the parity we've certainly seen in the women's game in particular as Iga Sviantek, I don't want to say her level has dropped off, but it hasn't 
been the immense untouchable level we saw through the first few months of the season. The parity on the women's side, certainly if there's no Novak Djokovic and injured Rafael Nadal, feels like there's a big opening on the men's side in New York as well. That's why I believe this week's action matter. That's why I want uh, this week's action matters. Excuse me. We'll try grammar again. This week, this week's action matters, and that's why I want to talk about it for uh, with all of you listeners today. Wow, English not my strong suit here prior to 10 a.m., but of course I'm recording this podcast Wednesday morning. Why do I tell you that fact? It's because as the previous episodes have been this week, it's going to be an abbreviated mini break podcast, and it's a perennial fight here at Cracked Rackets HQ. It's probably the only fight super producer Daniel Westoff and I ever get into. He's always adamant. You got to crank out a pod. You got to crank out a pod. You got to crank out a pod, even if it's only five minutes long, to which I always say, well, you know, a shitty five minutes really helps no one. I'm a 40-minute to an hour sort of guy. I like to get into the stats. I like to expand upon the thoughts that are constantly rattling within my brain. But, you know, when you're with someone on the road for 12 days, it usually behooves of you to not get into petty fights with that other person you are traveling with. As such, I just, it's not worth the argument with super producer Daniel Westoff, you know, bad podcast versus no podcast. I will try my best, though, to make this a worthwhile podcast for all of you listeners, as again, want to set the scene of all of the action happening this week on the ATP and WTA Tour. Of course, the reason we're able to do that day in, day out is because of the support we get from all of you listeners. And, of course, because of the support we get from our friends at Tennis Point. Tennis Point providing the best equipment at the lowest prices. You can find anything you're looking for by heading to their website, tennis-point.com. Use that promo code CR15. You Not only we let them know we sent you there, you'll get 15% off all sale items, free two-day shipping on all orders exceeding $75. Best of all, a free can of Wilson Extra Duty Tennis Balls, tennis-point.com. Symbol, not the spelling, tennis-point.com. The promo code is CR15. One more quick thought before we get into today's action. I do want some of you listeners to know, all of you listeners, not just some of you. Actually, some of you turn this off because some of you I don't want to know. But to the other listeners, leave this part of the podcast on. No, I'm just kidding. I do want you listeners to know we are working on the structure of the mini break format moving forward. What do I mean by that? I want to incorporate some new segments down the home stretch of the 2022 season, kind of rejigger what we do day in, day out on this show, make things a little bit more exciting, perhaps make things even that much more interactive between us here at Cracked Rackets and all of you listeners of the Mini Break podcast. So be on the lookout for a redesigned Mini Break post-US Open. That's what we call in our business a tease as we've been brainstorming here at CRHQ, but just a fun fact for all of you listeners. With that said, not going to waste any more time. Let's get into this week's action happening on on the ATP and WTA tours. And I suppose I will waste your uh, time for 15 more seconds because just want to remind all of you listeners, you heard me cuss a bit earlier, unfortunately, given uh, the busyness, I think that's a word, given how busy we are here at CR, I just... I don't want to burden super producer Daniel Westoff with too much work here today as such lightly edited podcast for all of you listeners this week. I suppose that's no change, but if you don't hear that quack sound effect, that's because, again, we have super producer Daniel Westoff trying to be the producer for a 250 event as such. He gets busy, but with that said, let's start 
with the 250 action in Cleveland, as I've had the opportunity to watch most, if not all, of this action unfold in person. And look, we're halfway through our round of 16. We know some of the players who are going to be competing in another championship weekend. And I just kind of want to go through in descending order or, yeah, descending order. We'll start at the top, work our way all the way down. Who has impressed me the most this week in Cleveland? Whose performance, in my opinion, is the most relevant moving forward? And I think the unequivocal answer to that question has to be 2020 Australian Open champion and uh, 23-year-old American, Sonia Kennan, who has looked like herself again. And that's the highest compliment I can offer. She has looked like herself again in her two victories in Cleveland this week. Kennan, a straight set victory over Delana Hewitt. And by the way, if you have not watched 21-year-old Delana Hewitt, she has a cannon of a first serve. Delana Hewitt, it hasn't all clicked for her yet, but... She's about six foot, maybe six foot one, maybe, you know, somewhere between 5'11 and six foot one. She was clocking 117, 118 routinely on her first serve. You just can't teach the sort of power that she's able to generate. That said, reigning in that power, finding a 75% ball, just becoming a bit more accurate, a bit more consistent in everything she does. That's going to define the upside in the career of Delana Hewitt moving forward. But what was so impressive about Kennan in her first round victory over Hewitt or her second round, round of 16 victory over Arena Camilla Begu last night, was just how in command, how in control, how in rhythm everything Kennan was doing on court was. And again, when you look for Sonia Kennan, it's been a tough season for her. She made the quarterfinals in Adelaide to start the year. Good wins over Tom Janovich, Bronzetti before getting knocked out three and four by Ashley Barty. Uh, you look since that Adelaide quarterfinal, not only had she not made another quarterfinal, in this 2022 season. She hadn't won another match in this 2022 season since that opening event in Adelaide. And of course, injuries have been a massive part of that fact. But look, after reaching as high as number four in the world, after winning that Australian Open title in 2020, Sonia Kennan has dropped to number 415. And you can understand why when you lose, you know, what is it? Uh, I believe eight consecutive matches at eight consecutive events. You're going to struggle. Your ranking is going to tumble. And when you're not healthy enough to play a rigorous schedule, not healthy enough to go play 125 Ks or 250 events, just again, to find your bearings, find your rhythm, put a few points on the board. Obviously, it's going to be difficult for you to regain that form you showed earlier in your career. But for Sonia Kennan, she just seems finally to be at a place mentally, physically, where she is locked in once again, and in particular against Hewitt, against Begu, who, you know, both of these players, line drive, power tennis players, Kennan took that game style and just took it away from them. You know, Kennan was so adept at absorbing their first blow. And of course, if you've watched Sonia Kennan, she is not a Serena Williams power tennis player. country club sort of player. She's someone who wants to change direction on you, who wants to throw off your rhythm. She's going to throw in the slice. She's going to throw in the drop shot. There are shades of Daniil Medvedev in the game of Sonia Kennan in the way they both go about attacking people. Of course, Medvedev's got the cannon of the first serve to make life a little bit easier for himself. Kennan never really had that as part of her game, but again, Kennan's so adept at changing direction. Uh, you know, Kennan's so adept at playing defense tennis and turning that defense into offense and she just did that exceptionally well against both Hewitt and Begu and you know last night against Begu she was just 
she was off and running. And, you know, you look for her, she meets 76% of her first serves, which is, you know, her best service performance since Adelaide back in January. She fought off four of the five break points that she faced, but she was perennially up a break of serve throughout the course of this match. At no point was she down a break in either the first or second set. And again, a three and two victory for Kennan. The drop shots were working. The short angles were working. She was driving through her backhand brilliantly. She just did not allow Irina Camilla Begu to play from the center of the court at all. Didn't allow her to dictate at all from the baseline. Again, Kennan was exceptional, and we all know what Sonia Kennan is capable of doing. You look since tw- from 2019 to you know her injuries at the start of 2021, she was one of the five most consistent players on the WTA Tour. You look from the start of 2019 through the end of 2020, she made you know seven different finals, two slam finals. Obviously, winning the Australian Open makes the finals of the 2022 uh, 2020, excuse me, Roland Garros, where she was knocked out uh, by Iga Swiatek. But look, how many players have made? two slam finals in a single season over the course of the past five years. I mean, you can count them on one hand, right? Like Serena did it in 2019. I think Halep did it maybe once, maybe once. Ashley Barty, I believe, has probably done it. You know, Barty and Osaka did it within the course of a ca- uh, within the course of 12 months. They didn't necessarily reach two slam finals in back to uh, in a single calendar year, excuse me, but we know what Kennan's capable of. We know how she goes about attacking players, and it's slightly different than everyone else. And so, you know, again, the key for Kennan, because she's not someone who blitzes her opponents off the court, she needs to be moving well. She needs to be able to show off her defensive skills so that she's able to use them to turn defense into offense. She's just been able to do that in her first two rounds. And again, into her first quarterfinal since January, wins her first two matches since January. I'm not willing to say Sonia Kennan is back yet, but that was a vintage performance from Kennan to advance to the quarterfinals, where now she waits the winner of Barbara Krachikova and Bernarda Pera. Obviously, Krachikova, another player who has struggled with injuries. I've gotten the chance to see her practice. I got the chance to watch her first-round victory, 6-3, 6-1, over Francesca DiLorenzo. She was broken in the opening game of that DiLorenzo match. She wins, what, 12 of the next 15 games. And just watching Barbara Krachikova in person, the thing that is most impressive is just how in command she is of everything that she does on court. Everything's in rhythm. Nothing is rushed. It's so smooth. I mean, this is a stupid thing. Go look at Barbara Krachikova's legs and you're just like, that's an athlete. I just, I've never seen calves pop like that. And I'm just like, oh yeah, I get it. That's how you're a top 10, top five player in the world. And again, was extraordinarily measured against Francesca DiLorenzo in round one. The lefty just couldn't hurt Krachikova, and eventually Krachikova found her rhythm, found her form, started driving through the court. It's going to be a tricky one, though, for Krachikova in her round of 16 match on Wednesday. She's going to take on Bernarda Pera. Pera's obviously been exceptional of late. She won Budapest, Hamburg back-to-back, made the final of Concord. So what? She's now won. She came through qualifying in Budapest. So I believe that was 7 plus 5, 12. Uh, 16, she's won 16, 17 of her last 18 matches. 17 of her last 18 matches, just very, very quietly. Bernardo Pera currently sitting at number 51 in the world. I mean, the 27-year-old's just kind of 
humming along right now. And, you know, again, she's going it, to, it's a souped up version, a little bit more line drive than Krachikova saw, a little bit more power than Krachikova saw in round one against DiLorenzo. So I'm locked in on that match. And again, that top section, Krachikova, Para, who's playing as well and is as dangerous as any player right now on the WTA tour, uh, a fascinating section of the draw. Was really impressed by Magda Lynette last night, who just absorbed the first blow of Serana Kirste and then was able to, uh, you know, return a little power in kind. Lynette into, I believe, her fourth quarterfinal, maybe fifth of this 2022 season, back-to-back quarterfinals for her in Cleveland. And by the way, the low-bouncing quickness of this Cleveland center court, it fits the game of Lynette perfectly. It offers a little more oomph to the games of Krachikova Kennan as well. It's a fascinating surface. But, you know, again, while those are the biggest storylines, who has impressed me the most? It's Alize Cornet and Ludmilla Samsonova. Ludmilla Samsonova won her match yesterday. I think it was 6-1-6 love or something like that. Yeah, 6-1-6 love. Look, it was a, her opponent, Shymanovich, was playing her first WTA-level main draw match. But, man, Samsonova just blitzed her. And, again, the power tennis Samsonova is able to play. How quickly that ball just explodes off of her racket. It is so impressive. So, credit to Samsonova. Again, that top half of the draw is loaded. Samsonova going to take on Sigamund today. I thought it was a really nice win for Alexandra Sasnovich, who was patient, but then used her return of serve against Sarah Sariba's Tormo as essentially an approach shot. And ultimately, Sasnovich comes back from a set down to earn a three-set victory. It is her fifth tour-level quarterfinal of the season. That's the most she's reached in any single season. 28 years old, arguably playing the best tennis of her career. And then Alizé Cornet, who earned a milestone 500th career victory in her first-round win. She was down a break early. In the second set, two young 19-year-old Clara Tossin who just smokes the ball. Watching Tossin in person, I'm doubling down on all of the takes I've ever had on Tossin. I, I think she will be that good because she plays on her terms. She goes for broke. She's getting quicker with every match that plays. Her movements get better and just again, uh, I am immensely impressed with Tossin, and yet Cornet was able to absorb that first strike. Cornet just made the match physical. And again, she was talking about retirement at the start of the season. I know she's 17 and 17 overall on the year. It's been a little bit streaky for the French woman, but I was impressed with just again the physicality, her ability to make Tossin uncomfortable it was a very fun match. And then look, Trevisan survived in three set ECAT. Uh, cruising and straight. She's going to take Madison on Madison Brangle today. That's a fun contrast of styles. It's a really fun week of action in Cleveland. Again, players like Cornet, who reached a quarterfinal earlier this season at a slam. Trevisan, semifinal early at a, at a slam earlier this season. Players like Samsonova, who's won six matches in a row. Kennan finally returning to form. We all know how good Krachikova can be. Yes, it's self-serving to say keep an eye on Cleveland because I want you all to hear the jokes I make as the tournament MC. but man, the action in Cleveland is exciting. And I'll tell you what, I think Samsonova, Kennan, if she continues to play like this, I think they can be legitimate threats in New York. So keep an eye on each of those players as the action continues. With that said, want to quickly rapid fire through the other matches, other events happening this week and what you should be watching. Fascinating that Daria Kasatkina elected to play this week in Canada. I know Kasatkina lost back-to-back matches first round in Toronto in Cincinnati after winning that San Jose title. But you look for Daria Kasatkina here. Here in 2022, she's played 49 total matches and got a good three-set win over Hreet Minen in round one. Now she's going to take on Magdalena Freak. I just, 
it's an interesting decision, right? You figured she has enough matches under her belt. That, but, you know, again, to each their own. She's a confidence-based player, wants to go play, and it was a three-set victory for her in round one. Must have been nice to just get those nerves off, particularly after dropping that first set as opposed to winning three, uh, losing three matches in a row going into the Open. You've now won a match going into it as well. Uh Kasakina, your number one seed. And then everyone else playing this tournament, it makes sense. They're chasing points, trying to build their rankings, trying to position themselves, not necessarily for the U.S. Open, but for the rest of this 2022 season. And now that we are in late August, you can start looking towards 2023 as well. And so to see a player like a Diane Perry, the former world junior number one French woman who you guys know, I am all in on her forehand, the smoothness of her moving in and out of the thirds of the uh, of the court. She's immensely impressive, and it's going to be a really fun matchup between her and Teresa Martinsova, and I thought Martinsova, who's very much a line drive player, Kirstea-esque, Magda Lynette-esque. She's just going to go for broke. She's going to play on her terms. It's not Serena Williams Power Tennis Country Club. It's not that overwhelming power. It's more just, you know, it's in the Belinda Benchich model of player. Um, I, I think that's a really fun contrast of styles. And I think if Diane once, if Diane Perry can win that match, again, like, at some point, everyone's going to hop on the bandwagon. And just remember, you Cracked Rackets fans, you Mini Break Podcast listeners heard us praising Diane Perry before everyone else has started to. But, you know, top half of the draw, look, Kasakina is the overwhelming favorite. 57.4% uh, chance of advancing to the final. You look at who's in her section of the draw, Martin Sova, the second biggest threat according to Tennis Abstract. Perry, Bondar, Parises, Diaz. There's not an overwhelming power player, and you kind of need that overwhelming weapon to beat Daria Kasakina this season. She's been that consistent from the ground, and if you don't have a weapon to hurt her with, eventually she is just going to break you down. If Kasakina is locked in, she should make the final. Of course, bottom half of the draw feels wide open, and this is a massive opportunity for number 10 seed Marta Kostyuk. And of course, for Kostyuk, it's been a tough season for her. And of course, look, she's been dealing with so many different things. You know, she's been so active in fighting for her home country, Ukraine, as they face the unprovoked aggression from Russia. She's made that a massive part of everything she's done this season. And look, she's playing better of late qualifies, makes round of 32 in Cincinnati before getting knocked out by Pagula in three sets. A nice win over Tamara Zadanzik to kick off her Grand B campaign. She's 20 and 14 overall on the year. And look, for Marta Kostyuk, who turned 20 years old earlier this year, matches still matter. I think that we've got a decade for her to make deep runs at the slams. I think for her building confidence, finding her rhythm down the home stretch of 2022, more important as we turn the calendar towards 2023 than it would be for her to peak specifically at this 2022 U.S. Open. So I think her decision to play this week, a good choice in the long term. And then, look, players like Jasmine Paolini, Rebecca Marino, Daria Seville, Shi Yu, uh, Wang Shi Yu, you have the opportunity to earn some serious WTA points. Uh, you take it, even if it is the week before a Grand Slam. So it doesn't completely shock me uh, to see these players be playing in Canada. But again, that's our action in Grand B. If you're asking me, I would love a Kostya-Kasakina final. And, uh, you know, again, Kasakina, Russian, but she's done, she's been so pronounced in speaking out against Russian aggression. And so you're thinking, well, Russian versus Ukraine, Alex, are you trying to stir things up? No, I think there would be an immense level of respect between Kasakina and Kostyuk. And again, I think Kostyuk is extraordinarily talented. I would love to see her, you know, make a big run here, be tested against a Kasatkina in the final, have her level pushed to the highest extent. Uh, I am very much looking forward to this week's action in Granby. And I actually do think Kasatkina 
I mean, I hope we get Kasakina Perry in the semifinal. I hope we get Kostyuk Wang Shiyu in the semifinals. And then, you know, any permutation from there in the final, I will be happy with. But with that said, that is your action happening this week on the WTA Tour. Two events, Cleveland, Granby, should both be very fun. With that said, let's get into this week's one ATP event happening over in Winston-Salem. Yesterday's matches certainly got a bit funky, and it starts with top seed Grigor Dimitrov. He takes the first set six love over Dominic Team, down 4-2 in the second set, though. Dimitrov forced to retire due to some spell of dizziness, and of course, all of us more than anything. Just hoping Grigor is healthy come the 2022 U.S. Open. It feels like since the start of this pandemic, it's just been start and stop in the career of Grigor Dimitrov. He's had COVID what? four times, maybe five times, various injuries adding up as well. And with how well he was playing in that first set, just absorbing the first strike of Dominic Team, very much taking advantage of the fact that Team had played a two and a half, three hour match in his first round affair the day prior. Dimitrov looked calm, looked in command in set number one, but just again, unfortunately, a spell of dizziness forces him to retire for Dominic Team, who was awfully impressive in a three-set victory over J.J. Wolf in round number one of the event. He's offered a second lifeline in the Winston-Salem event. And, of course, team fights off two match points against J.J. in that opening round match. I think more than anything else, you can tell, and I apologize if you hear a leaf blower in the background. They're really starting to get the action rocking and rolling here in Cleveland. Thus, I probably got to wrap this podcast pretty soon. But uh, you look for Dominic team. He's moving well. He's comfortable physically, and while he hasn't played a lot of hard court tennis of late, and you can see that in particular, how he's dealing with the speed of these courts, how he's got a little less time on his forehand, backhand wings to take those big cuts that, of course, have defined the career of Dominic Team. He's serving well. He's moving better. When he hits the first forehand, it looks as authoritative as ever. And he did a great job of, again, absorbing the first strike of J.J. Wolf and matching Wolf's plus one tennis from the start. And look, J.J. Wolf's a top 100 guy now. We've said since his massive, what was it, 2019 college tennis season where he was unequivocally the best player in the country. And by the way, Cam Norrie was unequivocally the best player in the country. He's top 10 in the world. J.J. Wolf, at one point, unequivocally the best player in the country. He's a top 100 guy. All of us excited about the news that Ben Shelton turns pro on Tuesday. By the way, something we have been talking about and anticipating here since, what, September? October of last season when he really started cruising. We knew this decision was coming and hopefully we'll have the chance to bring Ben onto the Cracked Interviews podcast maybe post-US Open to talk about his decision, why he thought now was the right time, but Obviously, a massive congratulations to Ben, the Shelton family, on a well-earned, well-deserved opportunity to turn pro. Now he signs with teammate Roger Federer's team. The point is, the best players in college tennis They're top 100 players, and that is why, and we'll continue to stress this here at Cracked Rackets, watch college tennis, folks. The action, the level continues to improve. I mean, you get a guy like Max Cressy who lost one match his senior season. He has catapulted his way into the top 50. Stevie Johnson, the men's college tennis goat, has obviously been a perennial top 50, top 100 guy throughout the course of his pro career. 
I don't know how many times I have to keep saying it, but I'll continue to say it to you Cracked Rackets listeners, although I know you listeners are certainly tuning in to all the college action. But look, the highest levels of college tennis, the best players in college tennis are going to have success on the pro circuit. And very often it's a matter of when, not if that success is going to come. Certainly, again, very happy to see J.J. Wolf healthy playing this level of tennis again. But look, credit to the team, who again is offered that lifeline. And now, maybe his toughest matchup to date from a matchup perspective, he's going to take on Jack Draper, the big serving young British lefty Draper advancing to the round of 16 with a three-set impressive victory over Fabio Fonini. Went down a quick break, two love wins, I believe six straight games to close out that first set that seemed to piss Fonini off but again ultimately and Fonini takes a second but ultimately Draper just so relentless with his again plus one tennis that serve for the tall lefty again two things every tennis coach likes to hear tall lefty that's precisely what we get in Jack Draper and he was just rock solid a veteran's guile he showed in his three set victory over Fonini now you look at the rest of the draw who am I going to be watching most closely? Well, I think this is where the tennis middle class, this is where you're looking for who are going to be those surprise round of 16 players. Because I don't know if we have a quarter finalist in this group. I guess if things really click for a Jack Draper or a Dominic team, that's why I started there. Maybe one of those guys could make a run to a quarter final. And for Draper, we saw him do it in Canada. Maybe this is just his breakout fall as so frequently happens for the young, talented players who ultimately ascend to the top of the rankings. But look, you got a lot of grinders, a lot of veterans in playing this week in Winston-Salem, whether it be to build their resumes, kind of solidify their points again with an eye turned towards 2023, or whether it be just, again, players who are looking to build up their ranking and perhaps solidify their spot, you know, build some momentum and solidify their spots moving forward down the season's home stretch. You know, Max Cressy is always dangerous, and I thought Cressy was pretty impressive in a straight set win over one of the hottest players on the ATP Tour in the duck, James Duckworth, but the serving and volleying, he goes for broke on those returns. He's just going to pester you moving forward at the net. I'm all in on Max Cressing. He looked good. It's going to be a fun matchup between him and Lorenzo Sonego, who's trying to work his way back into that top 50-40 range where he was a few seasons ago. Sonego's still, what, 26, 27 years old. Feels like there's still better tennis for him to play. But shout out to Stevie J, Stevie Johnson, winning his player in Winston-Salem Open history. Now, what does that mean, big picture? I don't know if it means that much. Nevertheless, Stevie, an impressive victory to kick things off against Pedro Martinez. Stevie going to take on another veteran in Richard. Gasquet. Gasquet just continuing to plug along inside that top 100. Of course, good win for Laszlo Jura. He snaps, I believe it was a nine tiebreak losing streak. Earns a 7-6 in the third victory. He'll now take on Jason Kubler. Uh, you look at some of the other matchups. Haomi Munar is just a top 75 guy now. Just physically, he's a nightmare. I don't care what the surface is. He makes you work. It's going to be a really fun matchup between he and Botik Vandesen Schulp. And uh, I really think BVDZ, my two days older than me birthday brother. Uh, if you don't have a weapon to hurt him, he's just too solid. Physically, across the board, the angles he opens up. Again, he's diet Daniil Medvedev. It's just like Medvedev, but 80% is good. Doesn't quite have the weapons, doesn't quite have the pop, but can hurt you in so many different and creative ways. Uh, it's a fun draw. Again, Ramos versus Manorino, a little lefty action. Benjamin Bonzi, who's just been a rock of late, certainly. Plenty of things for tennis fans to enjoy. I would love to see a Jack Draper title run. I mean, Ilya Vashka, who's rock solid, of course, of late as well. Is there anyone definitively favored, in my opinion, in this field to capture the title? I think 
Botik van der Zinschkulp is probably the most consistent this season of anyone in the field. But, you know, him, Cressy, Draper, all exciting names to watch compete this week in Winston-Salem. With that said, I can't stand the sound of this leaf blower in the background anymore, and I don't want to subject you listeners to it either. So we'll wrap today's podcast there. Again, three events happening this week at the tour level. Granby, Winston-Salem, and then, of course, where we're at here in Cleveland, Ohio. We'll have updates each and every day for you on that action as it continues to unfold. Again, if you're looking for a U.S. Open qualifying update, head on over to the Great Shot Podcast feed. Damien Kusiakabarro have you covered with predictions, the players to watch, and so much more. Of course, all that content available on our website, CrackedRackets.com. A shout-out, as always, to our super producer, Daniel Westoff, on the ones and twos. He's literally producing a WTA 250 event and he still has time to produce these podcasts as well. So shout out to him as always, the best in the business. Shout out as well to our friends at Tennis Point. Remember, it's tennis-point.com. The promo code is CR15. With that said, for our super producer, Daniel Westoff, our friends at Tennis Point, and from all of us here at both Crack Rackets and the Tennis Channel Podcast Network, I'm your host, Alex Gruskin. You know what we say. That's the break, and we'll talk to you all tomorrow. Thanks, everyone.